0: Happy Friday, everybody, and happy Hall of Fame weekend in the NFL. This is Dallas Cowboys inside training, and uh, we are the before and after picture of something. I'm not sure which of us is before and which is after, but I'm Brad Sham, and I'm I'm uh, got up like this because I am in Canton, Ohio, after the Hall of Fame game, uh, sticking around for the inductions saturday night of cliff harris and jimmy johnson sunday night of drew pearson and uh, full disclosure some of the attendant uh, events that happen around those things and and he's brian Broadus, and he is much more comfortable than i am right now because he's back at the mothership in uh, dallas but i don't i think that maybe i'm the before And you're the after, because all I want right now is to be dressed like you are. (laughs) And I will be on Monday when I get back to Oxnard.
1: Yes, you will, Brad. And uh, I'll tell you what, what a great honor uh, for a kid that grew up in Dallas, Texas, to see a Drew Pearson go in, a Cliff Harris go in, Jimmy Johnson I competed against as a scout with Green Bay and, and Philadelphia, places like that. So absolutely, uh, you know, they've got the right guy in Canton making sure all this is covered uh, for, the, for the Dallas Cowboys and for our little channel here that we do every week.
0: And, you know, I, I have to tell you, sitting in our booth last night, uh, across, directly across the field from where they have the Hall of Famers who are being inducted in the, remember, it's the class of 2020, which didn't have an induction and the class of 2021 and they there are still some COVID precautions going on so they couldn't do the uh forming two rows with the players of the respective teams in the game and all the hall of famers come out in between them they couldn't do that they couldn't have uh hall of famers on the field but they had a big 50 yard line behind the dallas bench directly across from the press box and we could see um you could have lit up the stadium with the smile on Drew Pearson's face and Cliff Harris as they're standing there with, with Peyton. In fact, Peyton Manning's son was throwing uh, passes to Drew and, uh, and, and it was just, it was kind of thing. And you've seen it, Brian, it's all of the comrades on really happy for Drew and Cliff the 70s, and obviously right. Jimmy put his life into the, game. And, and when you see those guys celebrating with the people who are their new teammates, it warms your heart if you care anything about the game. So, that's yeah. that's a big part of it, and and I really enjoy that part of uh, Hall of Fame weekend. But the there there is always a game, and there it's is. time to see these guys live. And of course, the Cowboys lost to Pittsburgh. And, and you have to make note of the people who didn't play. Right. So I, I would like, if with your permission, I would like for us to start uh, with a couple of the things that were not so positive. And maybe we can be, uh, I don't want to say critical, but we can, we can review these things, and then we can talk about some of the bright spots. And I did think there were some bright yes. spots. So one of the things, second half, when Ben DiNucci was the quarterback and the second, it wasn't even the second team, it was the third team and beyond players, although their offensive line rotation was kind of limited by numbers. So those guys played a good chunk of the game. But I made the comment to Babe Laufenberg on our radio broadcast when uh, Josh Dobbs, the Steelers' third quarterback of the night and their fourth quarterback in reality, was driving and got two touchdowns on the board. And, and i Babe, that, you know, I have done a few of these exhibition games and, and I've seen quarterbacks. They're the best players on the team, move the team and get in the end zone. I mean, babe, Lothenberg did it. Uh, Jason right. Garrett was really good at doing it. Uh, Tony right. Romo was good at doing it. So. I, I kind of keep that in mind when I see Cooper Rush and Danucci both really struggle to move the team. And I don't know if that's in for them or if they're just not able to find something down the field, but I'd, I'd love your thoughts on the offensive inefficiency, particularly in the second half.
1: Yeah, Brad, you're absolutely right. And, you know, as a, a former scout, What happens in these preseason games is you get a pretty good gauge of are your threes and fours better than their threes and fours. And it looked like to me that that was the case where the Steelers' threes and fours were better. They were better at the quarterback spot. The quarterback was more decisive when it came to making the throws. Uh, You know, even a guy like Haskins, high draft pick, You know, here's a guy that's battling for a spot with Dobbs, who is a very bright, talented quarterback who just hasn't had a lot of opportunity. But you see a guy that's picked up stuff along the way. Maybe he hasn't got the reps that the others have had, but he did a great job of moving the team. And, you know, to your point, you know, that's where it comes down to. uh, We remember several years ago, Cooper Rush made this team – having an outstanding preseason. One of the, if you look at statistically, one of the best passers of the whole preseason of the NFL. And so those are the types of things you're looking for. You know, when you get down in the tight red zone area, you want the quick decision makers. You want to be able to say, when the field shrinks, how am I going to score? How? And, and you're not game planning. We all know you're not game planning. But there's some things that we saw in the practices in Oxnard where the defense was able to kind of hold the offense out. And you're like going, okay, is it scheme? That's kind of out the window. Is it the quarterback play? That's where you got to kind of look at, hey, moving the team is fine, but are you able to finish drives? And that's where I think the Cowboys really lacked with their quarterback play last night. You know, they had some uh, opportunities – and converted some long third-down situations, long fourth-down situations. But when you get down in that red zone, that's where the difference is for these uh, for these quarterbacks. Cowboys weren't able to execute as well as they needed to down there.
0: You and I, when we are on the radio together for these final three preseason games, uh, will and I'm saying this because we've always done it, so I know we're going to do it again, we, we are going to simultaneously report the game and help cut the squad, even though they've right. not asked us to help them get the squad down to 53, we're both really good at it, and so we're gonna yeah. help them. And 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 when you start to look at the numbers, I'm wondering based on, and it's unfair because it's only one preseason game, we've gotta see a little more, but based on what we saw particularly of Danucci, I'm wondering if this would be a team that would think about going with two quarterbacks because of their numbers in other, and have Danucci on the practice squad where he can simulate a lot of other guys. And if you need to activate somebody in an emergency, you could, you think that's a possibility and an increasing possibility.
1: Yeah. I, I think Brad, the years of you and I working together, you've become a better scout than me uh, when it comes to these, no. these no. thoughts. But I think you're absolutely right. I I think the Cowboys overall are going to be tight in some spots and keeping uh, a a third quarterback, you know, that kind of limits. Maybe you want to keep an extra defensive lineman, an extra defensive back. One of those linebackers. I think that to me, they're going to look at it and say, listen, we're going to get more out of that extra defensive player than we are our third quarterback. Ben DiNucci is a favorite of Mike McCarthy's. It's clear that. And so the coach, head coach, carries a big stick in that room. I've lived it. You've lived it. Uh, I've watched guys that really had no business making personnel decisions make personnel decisions in that room and to keep players that they wanted to keep. I think Ben DiNucci falls in that category, but I think it's going to be as a as a practice squad guy, but just because not so much of what he's done, but the fact that they're not going to carry three quarterbacks, I don't believe.
0: Now, one of the things that makes uh, the numbers more difficult is their search for a backup center uh, because they decided not to re-sign Joe Looney, who is subsequently retired. And so they have been experimenting with Connor Williams as a backup center. Because that makes a great deal of sense if your interior people can, and they can say all they want and they have about, we train all our interior people to these jobs. But Connor McGovern, who did play some center at Penn State, he hasn't taken a snap at center in Oxnard. I'll be interested to see if they do that next week after they get past this Rams practice tomorrow. But Williams at center is something that uh, clearly made sense for them to look at. And I thought there were a couple of shotgun snaps that were really problematic, uh, did not really help Gail. Uh, Gail, I knew I'd do that sooner or later, Garrett Gilbert. Yeah. Uh, and, and I'm wondering where you, if you were a scout in the room reviewing the tape, what would your input be on Connor Williams as the backup center? And should we see more of that?
1: Yeah, I think you should see more of that because, Brad, I believe in putting the best five on the field. And, you know, there were times in practice where Connor Williams got some extensive work in two-minute drill, and he was fine with the shotgun snap during practice. That was his first exposure in game-like conditions against an opponent. So uh, I'm not kind of washing my hands of it and say, oh, it's okay. Okay. I'm just saying, though, I feel like that maybe he'll become more comfortable with it. But I, I am a huge fan of Connor McGovern. I, I, I was a huge fan of his when I evaluated him at Penn State. I love his toughness. I love his power. I love his, the nastiness which he plays. You know, So I'm thinking, okay, how do I get my best five out there? Now, the problem is, though, Tyler Biotish is replacing, uh, uh, you know, when you talk about Travis Frederick, a guy that was a plug-and-play player from the word go and was an outstanding center for this team. And so that's a little bit of a tough situation. So if you think that he is going to be Travis Frederick, uh, that's probably not the path you need to go. Now, he might have the intellect and things like that that Travis has, but i tell you the ability and stuff like that. So I'm thinking, okay, how do you get your best five on the field? Does that mean does Connor Williams – He's athletic enough. What you want from your center is that ability to cut the defense in half. And when I mean cut the defense in half, can you get to the second level? Can you keep the linebackers from making plays on the other side of the field? Can you secure down linemen? He's athletic to do that. So if it means playing him a little bit more, having some competition at center, but getting Connor McGovern, And, you know, whether you believe pro football focus and those groups and all that, uh, last night, Connor McGovern was one of the highest-rated linemen they had on the field. So, to me, that's kind of a positive thing going forward. And and I think you need to see more of this. Get the best five. Yeah. Go ahead. No, get the best five, and whatever combination that is, let's go.
0: I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I think I hear you advocating for Connor Williams being... Starting center, and McGovern being the left, Fish being the backup. Do I hear you saying
1: that? No, you're not putting words in my mouth. That's exactly what I'd like because I kind of feel like that maybe you might have something with Connor Williams as a center. That might be. I remember going to his pro day in Austin, myself and David Hellman from DallasCowboys.com, and I watched the New Orleans Saints offensive line coach work him as a tackle a guard and a center. I looked at Helm and I say he looks pretty natural playing center right there, just in the drills and things we're we're seeing right now. But again, how do you get your best five out there? I think that 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 would be a focus that I would have. If 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 Tyler Biadish is clearly the best center out of the group, then he's one of the five. Go with it and you know McGovern, you do what you have to do. But, man, I feel like last year McGovern didn't get the opportunity to compete for the job because we didn't have a training camp really. We really didn't have preseason games. The coaches went with who they knew, and they'd seen tapes of Connor Williams playing next to Tyron Smith, and they said, let's not mess with this. Let's let this go.
0: Okay, let's uh, look at one. Maybe it was a bit of a disappointment, and then we'll uh, finish on a high note, leave everybody feeling okay. good. We'll turn our attention to the bright spots. Um, you know, we've been watching all of these—seventy rece- of them, it seems—in training camp. These all these tall, lean, guys. and uh, you kept waiting for one of these rookie receivers to break out, because I think we all know, unless something really surprising happens, that uh, you, you know that Amari, up and C.D. Lamb are the first three, and it would appear. That Noah Brown and Cedric Wilson are the next two. And I want to save Malik Turner, and we'll talk about him in a minute. But so then the question is whether the young man they drafted, Semi Fahoko, or any of this bevy of free agent receivers could step forward. And this for them to do that. And uh, I didn't see any of them do that. Did you?
1: No, Brad. And, and listen, last night when you guys signed off for your broadcast, Babe Loffman brought that up about. Where was the separation? You know, the Steelers playing a lot of man coverage, the single safety in the middle of the field. They basically challenged these Cowboy receivers to get open, you know, and it was difficult for them to do that. And I think to me, you know, uh, a guy like Brandon Smith, who they gave a lot of money to as a college free agent. I mean, they guaranteed, you know, a lot of his salary. And, you know, he's a good-looking kid physically. He made a nice extended play uh, on the uh, the one ball to the outside. But he had a couple of them where it looked like he was fighting the football. And so, yeah, you know, Reggie Davis had the opportunity on the punt return. He didn't play the ball. It was a tough hop, but you got to play that ball. Those are the things that they're putting you out there to see what you can do. And if you're not coming up with plays, then that's a problem. So I, I agree. And even with Simi, I I think that there wasn't, you know, and you watch the Stanford tape there. He, he, there was not a lot of separation to his game where he, he is a catcher of the football and contested plays and things like that. And so, you know, we've got to see that from him, but I do agree with you and babe last night. Uh, There was nothing that really jumped out to me other than, you know, with, with what we saw with Malik Turner, but Malik Turner has made starts in the NFL for the Seattle Seahawks. So at least he has that experience on his side.
0: All right, let's turn it around to some positives. Start with Turner, and then I'm going to just let you go and, and talk about the things that you liked. But Turner, and I asked Mike McCarthy and a couple of scouts, this question last week, if we think back to last year and we talked about Noah Brown and how he looked like a physically, he looked different and it looked like he ran his routes differently and better and I thought he was a different kind of receiver than he, I don't know if it was opportunity or what, but then he had been. And when I look at Malik Turner this summer, I see Noah Brown last summer. And we know that he plays teams well because he was on all of their teams. He's one of their better special teams players. But when And I thought he did it last night. He, he let the one ball get away from him. But he also turned defender and prevented an interception on another one. He made a number of big catches. And I thought Malik Turner, uh, I think he's making an argument for receivers, And I'm interested in your thoughts on him.
1: No, Brad, I think your eyes are not failing you on that. You know, the the Cowboys, they usually, front offices will protect their draft. And they have an idea of what they wanted uh, when they drafted Simi, you know, with his – with his ability to play teams, like I talk about the contested balls. You watch the UCLA game he played last year. You would draft him in the first round just off that. I mean, like 12, 13 catches in the game. It was incredible how he brought his team back. He's a tough kid, too. So I always kind of thought that maybe he would be the sixth receiver and then the guy that was inactive every single week just to protect the draft. But what's happening is Malik Turner – has had some really, really good practices. And you and you look at, like, there were times in practice where Dak Prescott was, like, finding him on the field. It was fourth and two. They sprint the pocket to the right. Who do they throw the ball to? Malik Turner for the first down. So he'd had some good practices. The, last, the second week, there were some times where he wasn't as good. He had some drops in the red zone stuff. But then last night, he picks it back right up again. So, yeah, is he making a a push for that sixth receiver? Absolutely he is. But because I do feel like, you know, we talked about, are they going to carry extra guys at certain spots? The wide receiver room might be one that they do carry that sixth guy when they've got five quality receivers. Two of them play really good special teams for you. So that's really all you need. But if you want to carry that sixth one, Malik Turner's making a case for that.
0: What else did you like last night?
1: You know what? I liked what I saw from Rico Dowdell running the football last night. I thought he was physical running the ball. That's likely going to be your third back. I liked what I saw from Quentin Bohana inside there. There were a couple of times where he was chasing the ball. He was playing on the uh, the opponent's side of the line of scrimmage. I thought that was a, a really good thing. Making plays on the outside. Grass not dying under his feet. Guy being very active, he played a ton of snaps and it didn't look like he wore down. You know, you worry about a big man. Uh, you know, it, it was a perfect night for football, it seemed like, listening oh, to you Bay and be 70 degrees. I mean, and, and,
0: not and, no Yeah. Energy. Yeah. Oh,
1: yeah. Christy talking about how great it was. So yeah. good for him to, to be out there and be a physical part of that. I really was happy for Jabril Cox, not because I'm an LSU guy. But because I was. Maybe a little bit
0: because you're an LSU guy.
1: Yeah, maybe a little bit. But I was a little bit worried about him because he wasn't on a lot of the rotational stuff. He wasn't a part of the special team stuff. And so last night, he had four tackles, did a great job when Dobbs tried to break the pocket on the fourth down, keep leverage to the outside, make him try and throw the ball back to the middle of the field. Really nice job on his part. I was glad. I was happy for him that he showed up and got on film in a positive light. I was really impressed with Luke Gifford in the game, too. Uh, Luke Gifford made a lot of plays. They're looking for backup uh, linebackers. Luke Gifford's a guy that's shown flashes before. He got hurt. You kind of lost track of him. But last night, he seemed to be, he was always around the ball, making some plays, making some tackles. This linebacker group looking okay there. Uh, uh, I was really, it goes about same with uh, Michael Parsons and what he was able to do early in, in that game, him Vanderesh played with some physicality there. I think Vanderesh didn't have as good as a game as say Parsons did, but I was really impressed with what Parsons was able to do. And then you got to also like uh, Nishawn Wright and what he was doing. Other than the ball that went down the field, the forty-five yard pass to Claypool, and he was kind of backed up. You know, maybe he thought it was offensive pass interference. I don't. Know. Maybe he was trying to get a call there. It was a funny way to play the ball because he's a long guy, and you figure extend offhand, try and knock that ball away, and Claypool makes the play. But once that play took place, I kind of felt like Wright got into a little rhythm, and he got into that rhythm where he's like he's playing in coverage, he's being a, he's, he's, he's defending his ground, he's not giving up space. Those are the kinds of things, you know, because when we were at OTAs in mini camps, he was doing those things. Kind of got lost a little bit in some of these training camp practices, but then when the lights came on, started making some plays for you. So, those were some of the guys that I was kind of just that just kind of popped out to me, uh, you know, as as I was watching that football game.
0: You know, uh, right? Um, I, I mean, you, it was marginal whether Claypool pushed off or not. Yeah. But it's almost like he he went to school. Is how they play up here. Okay. Yeah. Now I understand. And right. he was aggressive around the line of scrimmage. And I think one thing that we did see from a lot of these young defensive backs and from Cox, uh, they seem to be very willing tacklers. Right. They seem to be really, and I'm sh- I'm sure that's Dan. But last year we did see some shoddy tackling. Right. And last night I thought they, the ones who were able to play and get opportunities, they they. Tremendous willingness to mix it up and, and tackle.
1: Yeah, and I, I I totally agree with you, Brad. You know, and especially tackle in space. Yes. That's how many how many times have we seen corners or safeties come flying up or linebackers flying up on the edge and then they get shook and then it's another seven-yard gain when it could have been a two-yard gain or minus one? So yeah, give those, give those guys a lot of credit for getting guys on. The ground, and I, I think that part of it was uh, was pretty impressive uh, from uh, from that defense last night.
0: You mentioned Bohanna. Yeah. Did other defensive linemen catch your eye one way or the other, good or bad.
1: Yeah, you know, I was a little disappointed, Brad, in what went on with Armstrong and then Basham as the backup. You know, they started the game, and and I didn't feel like there was much pass rush from those guys. I. I was a little bit thinking, okay, well, try and take advantage. The Steelers have had they have so many questions on their offensive line. I mean, you you wouldn't recognize uh, like Trey Turner is the only name you would really recognize on their offensive line. And so it, it's a big overhaul. And I kind of felt like that from practice that Armstrong and Basham and those guys would be able to generate some some pass rush. But it really—it never really happened, you know. And so I, maybe it's back to the drawing board there. But they'd had some really good reps in training camp where I was feeling better about the defensive uh, defensive ends at backup spots. You know, maybe we'll see here in the Arizona game, the next couple of games, if they could generate a little bit better pass rush from those guys.
0: Uh, and uh, then let's talk about uh, Garrett Gilbert, who, yeah, uh, once or twice held the ball a little too long. Uh, right. I'm not sure how much help he got in pass protection in the red zone, but I thought he converted some big third downs and he looked like a quality backup quarterback to me. What, what'd you yeah. think?
1: Yeah, Brad, that, that's once again, good eye on your part. You know, the the, the the practices that we've been able to see with Gilbert have been some very good and some not so good. And what you want in a backup quarterback is you want a confident player. You want somebody with some consistency I thought he handled, you know, I thought that Kellen Moore did him some favors with his play calling. I thought the the early routes with Wilson and Brown and those guys, the tight ends getting open, you know, the way that they were, you know, those are the types of things, the easy throws that you can make, you know, uh, if you could find a way to get it to a Dalton Schultz or, or get it to a Sean McKeon or somebody like that, that, that kind of helps you get the ball to the flat, let the backs go. Anything to be, don't be check down Charlie guy. But when you look at his yards per attempt, he was over eight yards a per, over uh, an attempt. That's what you want. You want that ability to attack people. And I thought he did a good job. Other than when he got down the red zone, I think he got a little, I want to use the word puckerish. I think he got a little puckerish because he, he it was like, oh, I'm not sure. And then, you know, you've got to be sure when you're down there uh, in that area.
0: Now, now secchi did not help him on a couple of plays no, on the no. first possession, and right. so there was a sack there, and um, and and that. How about that backup tackle situation? We, do yeah. we are we are we anywhere near a resolution to that?
1: No, Brad. And you know, th- this is a team that has struggled to try and add that veteran swing tackle guy, and it seems like. Ty Siki, when he was with the football team, was a really good player. And he goes to Buffalo, eh, not so much. But he, he looks like he's struggling with his conditioning. He looks like he's struggling with his foot quickness. You know, he gets beat on a move that a veteran tackle shouldn't get beat on. He sets outside and then spin back to the inside. Come on, Ty, that's that's. That's bread and butter, man. You you set, you punch, you hold that guy. When he spins, he should never be able to get to the quarterback. And when he spun, boom, that's what happens. So, yeah, you know, people will talk about Steele and how he played. It's, you know, I'm a huge fan because physically he doesn't look different to me. He looks the same. And I was hoping the offseason he would put on weight, get stronger. But then, too, and, and you know, Brandon Knight is another one. You know, Troy Aikman made the comment last night, oh, this is what happens when you play. You know, guys don't get a lot of reps and bump up. And I'm like, and then I go, man, Troy, you called last year where that guy was the tackle. You know, so it's it's tough. It's tough. And, you know, you got some veteran guys. I mean, you just got, you don't have guys that are just inexperienced out there playing. You have some guys that have played some NFL games and are still having some of the same problems that they've had before.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, he was a tackle at Indiana. He'd never yeah. played guard in his life until they they were yeah. short on guards two years ago yeah. and threw him inside. And he never. They think blamed. it's his
1: best spot. Yeah, they think that's his best spot. And then yeah, now, absolutely, think, but
0: they keep shifting
1: yeah. him out. Uh, they do. They do. And, and, and that's that could be on the coaching. And and by the way, before we end our thing, you know, let's let me talk about the kicking situation last Oh, night. I was going to go there to finish it up yeah yeah that that I don't think that was fair for I don't think that was really fair for Nusswinder to have to to do that I mean, I mean we saw him kick basically two extra points in camp we never saw them working on field goal and stuff you know I I don't know how you can expect him to go out there and you know I mean you want those points but it's kind of like they said, well, it's okay. If we miss the field goals, it's okay and all that. No, you're trying to build confidence in your team and your drives and your stuff like that. And, you know, you're asking a guy who's not a natural field goal kicker to try and kick field goals. And, you know, that, that to me is being a little cavalier on the, on the part of the Cowboys. If you want to cut somebody and bring in a real kicker so we can actually work on kicking field goals and making extra points or whatever – I think that would be an advisable thing to do if I was Bones Fossil.
0: And I said on the radio broadcast last night, I I certainly do not pass myself off as an expert, and I I have only been to 42 training camps. But I have never, ever seen less kicking done by the kickers in training camp. And uh, it really surprises me.
1: It does me too, Brad. And I... I, again, it's about you're trying to build confidence in drives and finish drives and that kind of thing. And and that I don't think that was fair to Nusswinder at all. I really, you put him in a terrible, terrible spot. And I don't blame the kid for that. I blame the people who put him in that spot.
0: Well, uh, tomorrow the Cowboys are going to have a practice with the Los Angeles Rams. That's a whole different subject about why they would want after a cross-country travel of uh, uh, the kind that they did in two days. But they're going to do it. More of the starters are actually going to be playing in the practice, uh, which seemed to be of uh, greater importance in some ways than the preseason game to the coaching staff, but that's just the way it seemed to me. But uh, whatever, they are going to be back in. They're going to have one more week of practice, and then uh, a night, in fact, Brian and I are going to be doing the preseason game between the Cowboys uh, and the uh, Arizona Cardinals. We'll figure next Friday out when we get there, but we do know we'll be back with you Monday on uh, Dallas Cowboys inside training camp for Brian Broadus, I'm Brad Sham. Thanks for watching. Okay. Okay.